Every December, Santa flies his sleigh over New York City, puts it in neutral, and then sprinkles thousands of minions. It's a day that's loved by all who participate and generally hated by everyone else. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the American English Podcast. In that introduction, you heard a guy named Casey Nizat talk about SantaCon, an annual pub crawl event in well over 100 cities in the U.S. where people dress up as Santa Claus. Uh, this Saturday, December 7th, is the 25th anniversary of the first SantaCon, which took place in San Francisco, so in 1994. When SantaCon began way back when, it was not at all like it is today. Today, I'll tell you a pretty cool story about the root of the festivities and how the event has evolved over time. As always, before we get to the fun fact, I'll teach an expression, we'll do some pronunciation exercises, and I'll tell you a joke. So let's do that joke first. What do you call Santa's helpers? Any ideas? subordinate clauses. <laughs> the first time I heard this, I thought it was funny. Uh, so let me explain. In English, we usually talk about subordinate clauses when we're referring to English grammar. Uh, subordinate clauses are the same thing as dependent clauses. So they depend on the main clause or the main part of the sentence in order to complete a thought. For example, in the question, if you have time, can you come with me? Can you come with me is a complete thought. If you have time, however, is not a complete thought, and therefore it is a subordinate clause, right? It depends on that second part, that can you come with me in order to make sense. So why this joke is funny is that subordinate also means lower in rank or in a lower position. So elves are subordinate to Santa Claus. They are lower in rank, debatably also less important, at least in terms of their role in the Christmas business. So they are subordinate clauses. So of course, we don't normally call Santa's elves subordinate clauses. That's why it's funny. So uh, let's hear that joke one more time. What do you call Santa's helpers? Subordinate clauses. So by the way, if you have any trouble placing commas in English sentences, you should definitely check out a little bit more online about subordinate clauses. There are very specific words you can study that will help you know when you need to put a comma in a sentence. I'll post a very useful link to that in the transcript. Today we'll be going through the expression, a blessing in disguise. First, we'll go through the individual words, and then I'll give you the definition and some examples of how to use it. A, of course, is an indefinite article, right? A house, one house, or any house. Uh, blessing is a noun, 
And it's something that brings well-being, something that is beneficial in nature. And in disguise, well, that's two words, but it means in costume. When someone is in disguise, it means that they have changed their appearance to conceal their identity. So on Halloween, we disguise ourselves or we dress up in costume or in disguise to be someone else. A blessing in disguise, however, is something that seems bad or unlucky at first, but ends up being good or beneficial. For example, imagine that you're in a long-term relationship when one day you walk in on your significant other cheating on you and you feel absolutely horrible and you decide to join a hiking group to get your mind off of it. In that group, you meet someone who's more suited to you than your ex, someone so great that you can imagine actually marrying them, and now you look back on your last relationship, uh, the one that you had with your ex who cheated on you, and you realize finding him or her cheating was actually a blessing in disguise. It was something that seemed bad at first, but ended up being the best thing that could have happened. You never would have met the love of your life if it hadn't. Example number two. So my sister-in-law, Katie, is a nurse. And about eight years ago, when she was getting her nursing degree, she had a little bit of a medical accident that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. One day, as Katie was riding her bike to school, someone opened their car door right onto the top of her foot and scraped all of the skin off. Kind of gross. So she was in a ton of pain, obviously, and needed to have surgery to reconstruct the top part of her foot. The thing is, Katie filed a claim, and the insurance company of the guy who opened the door had to pay her for the damage it caused. She ended up getting enough money to pay off university. So talk about a blessing in disguise, right? Example number three. Imagine that you're in college and you live in a different city than your parents, right? Maybe four hours away. And after a weekend visiting your parents, you return to school, but realize once you get there that you've forgotten your cell phone at home, right? Four hours away. The problem is you have a big final coming up and you need to study. There's not time to drive four hours there and four hours back to pick it up. So it turns out that leaving your phone at your parents was a blessing in disguise because you were able to study without any social media distractions. All right. So once again, a blessing in disguise is something that seems bad or unlucky at first, but ends up being good or beneficial. Let's go through some pronunciation exercises. We'll use the statement, it was a blessing in disguise. Repeat after me, it, it was, it was a, it was a blessing, it was a blessing in disguise, it was a blessing in disguise. It was a blessing in disguise. All right, and the conjugation, repeat after me. I've had a few blessings in disguise. 
You've had a few blessings in disguise. She's had a few blessings in disguise. He's had a few blessings in disguise. It's had a few blessings in disguise. They've had a few blessings in disguise. We've had a few blessings in disguise. All right, that's it for that section. Let's go ahead and move on to the topic of the day, which is SantaCon. Today, we'll talk about where SantaCon came from and how it's evolved to what it is today. I'll also share my own experience at that event as well. Back in 1974, in Copenhagen, Denmark, there was a group of political activists from a theater group called Solvognen. I might be butchering that name. Sorry for all of you Danish speakers out there. So one year, Solvognen, uh, this theater group, decided to rebel against the consumerist culture of the Christmas season. It started innocently. Dozens of members dressed up as Santa Claus and sang carols as they passed out hot drinks to people on the streets. But overnight, the dynamic of the activity changed. On the second day, Santas from the group broke into General Motors and gave speeches on the unemployment crisis. Soon after, some Santas attacked the Copenhagen Labor Court. According to Atlas Obscura, on day four, the Santas entered a very large department store and, quote, began to invite customers to take books off store shelves, smiling and hugging patrons while telling them that in the holiday spirit, everything was free. As you can probably imagine, the customers, the patrons, consumers, whatever you want to call them, were ecstatic. They got some free gifts at Christmas time. Although the group was eventually deterred and many detained by the police, they ended up getting a lot of media attention. And since their goal was to get a public debate going, many of the people from the group agreed that they had succeeded. Their message was out and their movement was so strong that the news about it even made its way across the Atlantic. 20 years later, in 1994, the Cacophony Society in San Francisco, which we actually talked about in episode number 20 about Burning Man, were inspired by these Danish Santa Clauses and decided to spread some holiday chaos and cheer in Santa costumes. The idea wasn't to be political like the Danes. The goal was to embrace the absurdity of having many adults in Santa costumes. So that year, about 75 people dressed up as Santa. They entered multiple hotels and sang to guests, who seemed very delighted with the unexpected arrival of the Santas. Some Santas danced and caroled in the streets. At one point, they even tried to crash the San Francisco Chronicle Christmas party, and they were sent out by the hosts. All in all, no harm was done. It was innocent fun and a good time for those who attended. As the years passed, the event spread to Portland, then to New York City, and then to hundreds of other cities in the United States. 
It turned out people liked dressing up as Santa and, uh, well, drinking. Since its absurdist inception, or its inception with the goal of being very absurdist, the event has morphed into a massive pub crawl. A pub crawl, as some of you probably know, is an activity where you consume alcoholic drinks in multiple bars or pubs. So instead of staying in one location, you move from one bar to the next. Naturally, anyone who goes on a pub crawl, including many of these Santas and elves, uh, get wasted. In other words, intoxicated, inebriated, very, very, very drunk. This may be one of the reasons why some people love the event and why some people hate it. One of the original Cacophony members, who was at the original event in 1994, named John Law, said, I have very mixed feelings about what the event has become, which is just one big frat party. Now that we have that introduction, I'll talk a little bit about my experience at SantaCon. So imagine walking down a street filled with hundreds of people dressed as Santa, and sometimes elves too. (laughs) Waiting in lines to get into bars, chatting with strangers on the street corners, and breaking out into jingle bells on public transportation. Right, so these are some of the snapshots I remember walking through New York City on SantaCon, and I think it was 2012. At the time, I lived in an apartment with a group of girls who had extreme cases of FOMO. (laughs) FOMO means a fear of missing out. People who have FOMO, including my former roommates, go out regularly and attend a lot of events, right? They don't want to miss out on anything. Our neighbors at the time were a group of our very close guy friends. My friend Sean, who lived there, was a friend of mine from high school, and all of his roommates were his frat brothers in college. And uh, like the reputation of frat guys, right, from a fraternity, They liked to drink, and they were pretty loud. Needless to say, they were more than willing to put on Santa suits and spend the day walking the streets, and my roommates with FOMO were more than willing to join them. So I got dragged into all of this, and they forced me to put on a Santa hat at 9 a.m. in the morning and go to a few house parties before actually hitting the streets. Now, if you've ever been to New York City and have walked around the East Village and the Lower East Side, you're probably aware of how insanely concentrated the bar scene is. One bar is right next to the other. For that reason, it's a hub for people dressed as Santa, and probably the reason that New York City is the biggest SantaCon in the U.S. It draws about 30,000 people each year. On SantaCon, many of these bars open at around 10 a.m. in the morning to welcome their first guests. So as the day goes on, you'll notice how quickly these bars fill up. Most bars are so packed with Santas and Elves that there's nowhere to move. You're shoulder to shoulder with the person next to you. So anyone with claustrophobia will think it's a nightmare, honestly. You'll also notice that some of the bars prohibit Santas. They have signs on the door letting you know that no Santas are allowed. Other bars only let people in Santa costumes come in. You don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out what happens when that number of people are drinking in a small area of Manhattan. First of all, Santas block a lot of the sidewalks. 
And that's one way to really irritate someone in Manhattan. Secondly, bathroom lines get very long. And so, of course, you're going to see an occasional drunk person peeing on the streets, which is kind of gross. But apart from these occasional issues, there aren't too many arrests, at least in New York City. In some other cities, there are definitely more arrests, um, of course, based on the state's laws on public intoxication. So back in 2012, when I went to this event, I remember a lot of people blaming out-of-towners for a big part of the chaos. But I want to ask you, do you think there's anyone to blame? Uh, For me, it's a It's tricky. I mean, bars open at 10 a.m. for 30,000 Santas. Is it the bar's fault? Or are they just trying to get business? Is it the government's fault? Is it the alcohol's fault? Is it Santa's fault that there's so much chaos? In any case, there have been many attempts from locals to ban SantaCon, all without success. For any event, it's very easy to find a lot of criticism. But the fact is, the event is still around after 25 years. Online, it seems like it's also becoming more charitable. Many cities ask for a suggested donation to support local charitable organizations. And NYC SantaCon has raised over $450,000 over the past nine years in donations to really great causes. So let's wrap this up. Nowadays, the official SantaCon describes itself as a charitable, non-commercial, non-political, nonsensical Santa Claus convention that happens once a year for absolutely no reason. Although the event has taken place in many other countries around the world, from South Korea to Switzerland, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and India and Australia, the majority of the celebrations take place in the United States. So in over 100 cities in the U.S., on one of the first weekends in December, you'll be able to see hundreds of people dressed in bright red suits, Santa hats, and white beards. Whether you think all Santas should remain in the North Pole, or they should be allowed to swarm the cities for no reason other than to drink and have fun, well, that's your opinion. So my opinion, I honestly don't care as long as no damage is done. Participating in SantaCon is not really my cup of tea, but it was fun to experience it at least once in my life. I will never forget ending a night at a pizzeria surrounded by Santas. It was pretty funny and uh, also pretty weird. Anyway, that's the end of this episode. If you're interested in the bonus material for this episode, which contains the transcript, a vocabulary builder, and a listening comprehension quiz, be sure to visit the classroom at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. I hope you're all enjoying your first week in December. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.